Welcome. Good morning, church. How we doing? Uh, good. I'm Scott Weatherford. You know, I, I just say this a lot. I want you to hold on to this. Relationships make life rich. Is that right? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, you make me wealthy this morning. Will you do that? Okay. Some of you just got creepy with that, but that's good. Let me tell you why I say that. All right, stop it. You're being too friendly. John Weinbrenner, who just sang, he's our band director at Wimberley High. I met this kid when he was 15 years old. Of course, I was 16, <laughs> but I, he was in my youth choir at First Baptist Pasadena. So uh, we're glad to have John here. And of course, there's others. Uh, Scott Berry, I got to drag you in this. You were a kid too. And we got some more folks from Pasadena that are here. They, they looked at me and said, you used to be Scott Weatherford. That's, that's right. <laughs> So Tara and I were flying back yesterday. We went to Montgomery to film our next two group uh, groups at First Curriculum. Uh, the next two series are Hope Renewed, and that's, that's a series about how God's promises are real for you. The promise of his power, his presence, all those things are for real for you. So we filmed those. And then the next series we filmed, Hope for Us. And that's on relationships. So we got to go back to Alabama where uh, my good friend Chad does the videotaping and puts that together. And uh, my good friend Gail writes our curriculum. So it was awesome. We stayed with our friends, Lee and Michelle Franklin. And on the way back, we were on, on the Delta flight. So shout out to Delta uh, on a Delta flight. And uh, yeah, whoop, whoop. And we got a Delta pilot back there. He asked me how my flight was. I said, well, you know, it had its ups and downs. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, huh? What is Landing, takeoff, ups and downs. Okay. So we were sitting on the plane and this, this week, I was in, you know, the aisle row. Tara was in the center seat and the, the window seat was open. This young girl comes down. She's probably in her early 20s. She comes down the aisle and she says, that's my seat. So she gets in and we strike up a conversation with her. She's a teacher in Austin, teaches English in Austin. And uh, she was coming back from Madrid where she'd taken a group of her seniors to spend 17 days in Madrid for high school credit. Do you guys want to go to school there? Go yeah. Do y'all know where Madrid is? It's just the other side of, I think, uh, what, what, Tyler. Okay, anyway, so we're, we're talking to her and we said, gosh, what a great job. And so I saw her Aggie ring. Thank you. Okay. And I said, so you must be an Aggie. And uh, she said, yes, I am. And she said, I said, would you graduate? She told me uh, 2014. And I said, that, that's awesome. I said, so where are you from? And she says, she was listening. She kept looking at me. looked at me. He said, she's from Victoria. I said, oh, yeah, Victoria, Texas. Uh, Tara and I started a church here. He goes, you're Scott Weatherford. <laughs> and she was her parents. And she went to our church. Victoria, she was just a teenager, probably 13, 14. When we left, she knew you, Kayla. She knew you. She knew your brother, Caleb. That's another story. And, uh, but she, she uh, and I actually baptized her mother, and her mother passed away last year from cancer. So she was, we just, it was kind of cool. Relationships make life rich. So I kind of feel that way. Every weekend I come here, there's somebody from our past that seems to show up. And this morning in our early service, we had two folks folks from our church in Canada here. They came down to thaw out and uh, they're going to Galveston and they'll go swimming because they're Canadians. They just don't know any better. They go, oh yeah, it's balmy. And uh, they were down at Corpus Christi. He goes, yeah, we're down there on the beach in Corpus Christi, eh? And uh, it was balmy. It was 68. You know, we were sweating. Going, oh. 
I said, you come here in July. We'll tell you what balmy is. All right. That's, you just mail a little puddle of Canadians. But today, we're going to continue with this. That's just so much craziness. I'm sorry, y'all. Not really. I was a Canadian. Sorry, by the way. Uh, not really. Sorry. That's Canadians. That's what, it's kind of like Southern bless your heart. It doesn't mean that. Um, so today, we're continuing this series on hope restored. How could God rebuild our lives when we're broken? How could God give us hope? And we've talked about hope uh, last week. We talked about hope from disappointment. When life just serves up more than you can handle. Now there's a scripture that is so misquoted. I hear people say this. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. God gives you more than you can handle all the time. Have you ever had little babies in your house? He gives you more than you can handle. But he never gives you more than he can handle. That's the big change. Next week, we'll be talking about being restored from sexual sin. Hey, nobody gonna come that week. <laughs> Please, I'm good. We'll watch it online. You definitely ain't gonna walk no aisle next week, right? And then the week after that, we're talking about re- being restored from being sinned against. How do you handle the abuse in your life? But this week, we were talking about being restored from bitterness. I have discovered a nasty green monster that lives in the dark corner of my heart. This monster, he, uh, he pollutes my mind. He, emets, he messes with every relationship I have. And he's got to go. And his name is bitterness. And somehow I've gotten used to him to the place where I kind of tolerate him, but realizing that he's just messing up my life and I need to deal with him. But literally taking off the lid of the septic system of my soul, I kind of got used to him because if I do let go of bitterness and if I forgive, that somehow I'm going to let the person off the hook of justice that has hurt me or the circumstances that have defined me. I'm not going to get justice for that. And you know what that's called? Crazy. And I live with this bitterness. And even though it influences me negatively and influences all the relationships I have, but I need to deal with this. And how can I deal with it? How can I be honest enough to say, this is me and I need to go there. I need to go there. Well, I want to give you some bitterness facts. And this may help you with kind of a litmus test. Is this me? Now, some of y'all just got really quiet. You quit making eye contact with me. So it may sound like you. But here's some bitterness facts. And you see this is true. They'll be up on the screen. You might want to write them down. A bitter person will share their hurt quickly and often. Usually when I meet somebody, even for the first time, if I have an extended conversation with them, their pain, <clears throat> excuse me, comes to the surface very quickly. How they've been wounded, how they've been sinned against, or they have this animosity or something. A bitter person is quick to judge new relationships based on the hurts of the past. And some of you have judged me as your pastor based on the past relationship you had with the pastor who hurt you. He said, well, I ain't going to hit him close because that last guy did blah, 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 blah. And that's just bitterness. And somebody told me recently, 
Well, you know, I'd get involved in church, but I've been hurt by the church. I said, I've been a pastor for 36 years. You don't think the church has hurt me? On a regular basis. Pastor, I'm just not being fed. You didn't sing my song last week. Somebody parked in my place. You need to tuck in your shirt tail. Really? And on and on it goes. That just sounded silly, but it's true. And judging relationships based on our past hurts model everything in the present and cloud everything in the future. Bitterness and relational intimacy are almost impossible to coincide. If you're married to a bitter person, it blocks your intimacy. If you're a parent, it blocks your ability to really love your children. If you're a teenager, it really influences how you build friendships. It blocks our ability. It's almost, not, it's not impossible, but almost impossible. Bitterness divides your life into the before and after. Before I was hurt and after I was hurt. Before I was abused, after I was abused. Before I was disappointed, after I was disappointed. And bitterness clouds God's forgiveness and grace. I want you to circle the word clouds because it's really important. It doesn't omit God's grace, but it sure makes it fuzzy. It sure makes it, makes it foggy. And so that's enough, but there's more. But that's enough to get our conversation going today about how can we find hope in the middle of bitterness? How can I kill the monster that's living in my soul? He's got to go. You see, God wants to be free. He wants me to live free. He wants me to live in hope and not in the grip of bitterness and despair. So we're going to turn to God's word this morning and we're going to find hope and we're going to find healing and we're going to live free. Today's your day to walk out of this place free from bitterness. Are you ready to go? That's five of you. That's great. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. That I pray, oh God, that you speak through me. That it'll not be my words or Father, my thoughts but it'll be yours and you'll customize this talk for those that are listening, either here live or online, that you will speak truth to them and they could find hope in the middle of hurt and bitterness and find healing and find restoration in you because you are the God of hope. And we pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Amen. So we already got your notes out. You're going to take some notes. So this week, man, I was neck deep in this. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 15. That's where we're going to kind of focus. And anytime I teach out of Hebrews, I feel completely overwhelmed because it's so dead gum complicated. I'm trying to figure it out. So uh, I was looking at different commentaries and I was in a full blown argument with a very smart guy named John MacArthur. Y'all ever heard of him? And I'm saying, he's got it wrong. He's got it wrong. He's got it wrong. This is not right. And then, then I thought, who am I to argue with John MacArthur? He's like brilliant. He's written all these books and things like this. And so I go home and I talk to Tara. And I say, Tara, I mean, I've been arguing with John MacArthur about the exegesis of this passage. And this is what I think. And this is what he says. And she says to me, well, you better call your brother Stan and find out if you're right or not. 
So I called Stan the theologian and he agreed with me. And not that John's wrong, he just had a, a John MacArthur's wrong, he had his other take. But this has been one of those deals where guys, guys, I'm preaching to me and y'all just get the leftovers. It's those green chili enchiladas in the refrigerator. That's what you're going to get today, but they're good. They're good. So let's jump into this. Here's the first step of dealing with bitterness in my life. I have to take a look at the monster inside. I've got to be willing to look at what's going on in me. Now, this, this passage in Hebrews really is a, is a lynch point or a transition point in this chapter because it, it starts with the word therefore. Now, they teach us in seminary, when you see the word therefore, you know it's a transition. It's an application that they've said all these things. The writer of Hebrews has said all these things. He takes a breath and he says, now we're going to apply it. And what he was talking about was living the life of endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus, taking off the sin that entangles you, uh, enduring spiritual discipline, that, uh, that your spiritual discipline that comes upon you that's just hard for you to take or to, to understand. And then he goes, okay, therefore. So I'll give you something to help you remember that. So when you see a therefore in the Bible, stop and see what it's there for. It's the application point. And this is what the writer says about the monster. Therefore, strengthen your hands and, and weaken knees. Make straight your path for your feet so that what is lame may not, may not be dislocated but healed instead. Now, he's using this terms because earlier he was talking about running the race, running the race, running the race. Now, that's kind of interesting. Uh, Tara and some of her other buddies, Kath is one of them, they're planning to do a 5K run uh, that's going to be sponsored by First Baptist Wimberley, a 5K run. If you see me running, something bad's happening, something's after me, you want to get in front of that. You know, I might do a 5K drive, but I'm not going to do a 5K run. Okay, I think K stands for, you know, crispy something, I, not, you know, not kilometers. But anyway, he's using the value of running. So he says, strengthen your, your, your arms. Because when you run, if you don't have your arms up for balance or stride, you, you know, it's hard to run. And your knees, as you run, they get tired, they get weak. Man, I understand about bad knees, about weak knees. And he said, so you won't be dislocated. So in order, in order to really run this life of faith, you've got to strengthen yourself. You've got to take a look at the monster living inside you. And you've got to see that the writer is leading up to this point about bitterness because he knows that bitterness is the barrier to God's grace poured out in you and for you and through you. Huh. This passage is the application, the spiritual discipline, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as you're running, focus is, is what counts. Focus. Now, back in the day when I was an athlete, I used to have to run. Uh, I played baseball. In fact, I'd played professional baseball had it not been for talent. <laughs> Bad joke. So we go, he's repeating his jokes. Yes, I am. Okay. And uh, so I remember I used to have to run for endurance. And did running... You used to get tired. I said, if I can make it to that light pole, I'll quit. Then I'll make it to the light pole. I said, if I can make it to that light pole, I'll quit. And then pretty soon I found my way home because I just focused on an immediate goal. Well, if what you focus upon is literally what defines your life. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. That I have to see that this is a stretch for me. And we drop our hands and our, weak gets, our knees get weak. And then we, we lose our hope. The writer's giving us practical insight and success. I've got to be self-aware. 
I've got to know what's going on in my heart, in my life. Are my arms dropping? Are my weeks, knees weakened? Am I losing hope? I need to be self-aware. And self-awareness is a gift from God. But I want to say this to you. I, look, I must look at my heart and my mind, my words and my actions. What's the feeling, the content of my heart? What is the, the thoughts of my mind? What is the words of my mouth? What is the actions of my hands? Because they're all interrelated. And, and some of you are right there. You're weary and you know it. Your hands are dropping and your, your knees are weakened. And bitterness and brokenness have clouded God's grace for you. And you've lost your hope. And you've really become dislocated. And it's not only happened in your heart, and you might be putting up a good front, but it's happening in your relationships. The people that know you most know you're, you're bitter. And you're, you're not dealing with it. And this passage that, that the writer sees is not just kind of suck it up, buttercup, get over it, strengthen, strengthen, strengthen. But it's really God wants you to be successful. God wants you to thrive. God does not want you to be bitter. He wants to give you hope and make you alive. How do I know that? As I was studying this, I kept thinking, ah, this is tough. And then that little voice in my head said, hey, look at Philippians. And see what Paul said there. So I flipped over Philippians 1, 6, and it says this. I'm sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God, through grace in Jesus Christ, as I said yes to Jesus, as I allowed Jesus to be my Lord and be my Savior, as I prayed and asked him to save me, God started a work in me. He said, I'm not going to quit. I know you've been hurt. I know you're bitter and I know you're disappointed, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up on you. In fact, I'm going to complete the work I started in you. And I'm going to work in your heart. And I'm going to work in your soul. And I'm going to have some crazy preacher in Wimberley, Texas, talk about this. So you'll go, hello, it's me. Because God is faithful to do the work. God starts what he, he finishes what he starts. Write that down. God finishes what he starts. You see, strength comes from God, not from self-effort. I can be self-aware all I want to. But till I surrender myself to Jesus, I'm going to struggle. In fact, I'm going to fail. That I have to come to the place of surrender. And God wants me healed from bitterness. He wants me healed from brokenness. It's time to kill the monster. Have y'all seen that Mucidex commercial? That green guy that goes around? Y'all, we need to blow the nose of our soul today. <laughs> He's got to go. And to honestly deal with our hearts and our lives. So here's the next thing I want to, to encourage you with. Is that what you focus on in life is what you become in life. What you focus on, what you pursue, is what you become. Now let me make sure I got it just like I have it in the notes there. The pursuit of my life defines my life. The pursuit of my life defines my life. The writer goes on to say this. Pursue peace with everyone. With everyone. Aggies with tea sippers. With everyone. And holiness 
Oh, oh, I was supposed to pursue holiness? Yep. What is holiness anyway? Holiness means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for God, that you belong to God. It's not some kind of behavior where you put on a robe and sit in a corner and go, home. That's not holiness, that's creepiness. (laughs) Holiness is I'm set apart for God. That my life belongs to him. Pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, what? Peace and holiness, no one will see God. What, 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 what? No one will see God working in you if you're not pursuing peace and holiness. Huh. I must pursue peace. Peace must be my priority. God wants us to live in an absence of strife. Notice I said strife and not conflict. Because conflict can be a pathway to intimacy if we handle conflict correctly as Christ wants us to. Through loving confrontation, through understanding, through talk, and through restoration of forgiving heart. Strife is that internal turmoil. God wants you to leave you free from that. And that, that is the, the difference of peace. It's not conflict, it's strife. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, you ain't met my mother-in-law. As possible, as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So that means I have to deal with the relational rifts in my life and the resulting bitterness in my life. Well, maybe I'm being bullied. Well, it's a thing called separation. It's a thing called community. When the culture of a school or an organization or a group of people changes to peace, bullying dies. The church historically has been known as a place of bullying, bullying and legalism. We should be known for peace. Would you agree? This means I deal with these things. And the pathway to deal with them is forgiveness. I'm going to be a forgiver. And forgiveness is a gift to yourself. A gift to yourself. And as I forgive, God releases this forgiveness in me. And I want to say this to you because I want you to hold on to us. Forgiveness is, is literally the gateway to holiness. That you will never become set apart or holy for God if you're not, forgi- if you're not a forgiver. Why? Because God has forgiven you and you are supposed to be like Christ. And that's what holiness is, set apart to be like Christ. If God's a forgiver, you're supposed to be a forgiver. And if you're not going to be a forgiver, you're never going to be like Christ. If you're going to hold on to animosity and I've been done wrong and I want to pound the flesh and vengeance and Paul said in Romans, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't repay evil with evil, but evil with good because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God's going to take care of vengeance. And God may not take care of vengeance in your lifetime or even in this world, but at the, in the end of time, God will have his vengeance. I've watched like you have this week, the horror of this doctor who molested all these girls uh, who were involved in the Olympics. 
And I'm thinking, if I'm God, I'm telling Satan, throw another log on the fire. But I'm not God. And I realize God loves that rascal too. And my job is to be like God. You see, salvation is the way God loves us. Sanctification, in other words, becoming like Christ, is the way we love God. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. And God's loved us enough to send his own son that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that we might give ourselves to him and that he wants us to love him back by extending forgiveness and reconciliation to others. Okay. So if I'm holding on to bitterness in my heart and the lack of forgiveness as a result, then I am polluting my soul and I'm polluting your soul as well. Being unforgiven is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Because all it does is kill you. Now, some people teach this. I've heard it taught before. Well, if you don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive you. It's not true. It's not true. You see, there's a difference between the, the, um, the position we have in God and the practical way we live out that position. The position we have in God is this, that when you say yes to Jesus, when you ask him to come into your heart and be your savior, your sins are forgiven. You're in the position of sonship. You're in the position of being a daughter or a son of God. You're the beloved. You belong to him. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. You can't do it. Nobody's going to snatch you out of God's hand. He has you. You're right here. That's your position. Practicality that it, it results in us living all for Jesus. Because of the position, I live out practically that I love God and love people. But what happens if I forget my position, I don't live out practically the position that God has given me. And I forget. And so when we hold on to unforgiveness and, and bitterness, what we're doing is we're not living in the reality of our position. We're living under the deception of practicality or our feelings. And God wants you to be free from that. He wants you to understand who you are. Now, listen to this. This is Luke 6, 37 through 38. Judge not and you will not be judged. Hello. What are we doing? We're judging. I'm judging. Judging some of y'all right now. That's creepy, isn't it? No, don't judge. Or what about this one? Condemn not. Judgment and condemnation, condemnation are evil twins, aren't they? And you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, this is, this is not the condition. This is the practicality because of relationship of your position. Because I have been forgiven, I can then forgive. I have the position, I have the power, I have the authority to forgive. I can do that. Now, listen to the rest of this. Given will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, and be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I've heard this taught wrong all my life. Where pastors say, that's about money. That's about you giving to my ministry. 
you give and God's go push it down and run it over your lap. It's not. Let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about forgiveness. That when I give forgiveness, it'll be given to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, would be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Oh, God wants me to be a great forgiver. Oh, let me tell you something else that happens when my heart gets full and I become a great giver and I give that forgiveness, I become generous as well. Wow. And this is the difference between positional and practical. Because I am, therefore I can. Therefore I can. And forgiveness is a decision that brings about feelings. Now, some of you say, well, in fact, I had a conversation with a guy just after this last service. He said to me, Pastor, I know what your teaching's right, but man, as you're teaching, I got to thinking about this old boy that did this wrong, did me wrong. I just got so mad. I was over there just ready to bite my tongue. I was just so mad at him. If I could find him, I'd pull off his head and spit down his neck. I said, spit, y'all. Just being clear. And that was so inappropriate. I apologize. I could feel my wife stare right now. Anyway. And I said, Bubba, let me tell you something. Have you decided to forgive him? He goes, yeah, I've forgiven him and I've forgiven him. But these feelings have come back. I will say, I'll tell you what, let me tell you something. Those feelings are not real. Those are coming from Satan. And you tell Satan to shut his pie hole because you've forgiven. And you can be released from your feelings by the reality of the decisions. And every decision becomes a destiny. Your feelings do not become a destiny. Your decisions become a destiny. He said, thank you. And just because you feel it, don't make it real. When you decide it, so be it. So instead of hanging on to the roots of bitterness, you take it to Jesus and let Jesus set you free. Root out bitterness through forgiveness. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many people become defiled. Now this was the argument I had with John MacArthur. Because he said the root of bitterness is a person and that's an unsaved person that's in the church. And they cause dissension and strife. And I argued with him. I said, I don't think he's right. I talked to my brother. My brother says, I think you're right. And I said, Stan, how can I get this opinion from God's word? And this noted scholar gets this opinion from God's word. He says, Scott, because the Holy Spirit works in you and works in him and God's word is living and active and he's giving you revelation for your congregation today, preach what you're convicted of. Make sure it's right. But God's word is living and active. And so I see the root of bitterness is that what is springing up life is not a person, it's a thought and attitude that affects all of us. I need to deal with it. See to it, no one falls and fails to obtain the grace of God. That's an interesting phrase. This phrase is a practicality, but it's also positional. 
your blocked grace or grace is undone when you don't forgive. It's not undone. You don't lose salvation. You don't lose grace, but you don't feel God's presence. You don't feel God's grace. And then you don't give God's grace to other people because you're harboring bitterness. And it blocks it. It clouds it. And no one's going to see God when you're bitter. They're just going to see you bitter. And the goal of forgiveness is root out of bitterness, not necessarily restoring relationships. We can restore when we should, and we can. We should restore when we can. But there's some people restoring puts you back into a place of further abuse, and you just need to stay away from them. Sometimes the best place you could be is a thousand miles away from your family because they're crazy. And they're making you crazy. And so what do you do? You honor them from a distance. Where do you get that, Scott? Matthew 18. It says, if your brother offends you, go to your brother and make it right. If you make it right, you want him back. If he doesn't, don't, don't make it right, then you take two or three and you make it right. If that doesn't work, you go to the church. If that doesn't right, you treat them like a tax collector and a publican. What does that mean? It means you love them, you care about them, you honor them, but you don't let them in. You don't let them in. And it's okay. That doesn't mean you slander them. Of course, in the South, we're sophisticated about slander. We just say, bless their hearts. But we don't let them in. And you don't let them have circles of influence. You don't let them have positions of, of authority in your life. And you honor them from a distance. And it sets you free. And some people you know are like porcupines. You get close to them, beep, spines come out. Now, around here in Texas, we have these cute little porcupines. They're four or five pounds. They crawl out in the road to get run over just like every other critter. I'll tell you something. If I'm a buzzard, I want to live in the hill country of Texas. This is a great place to be a buzzard. There's so many dead critters everywhere. If I was a buzzard, this is where I want to live. In Canada, the porcupines weigh 40 pounds. They are massive. One day on our way home uh, from our church up there, church building, we were there outside of Okotoks, and somebody had ran over a porcupine. And that thing it was just monstrous, laying there, his quills all sticking up in the air. And I thought, well, in Canada, there's always some critter that'll come along and eat the porcupine. Not this one. It laid there for six weeks until it finally just disintegrated and rot. Nothing came and ate the porcupine because it was too porcupine-ish. And some of you wonder why you don't have intimacy of relationships. Some of you wonder why you can't get close or build deep friendships because you're a dadgum porcupine. And God wants to change you from being a porcupine to be a prince or a princess of King Jesus. And it's all about bitterness. It's all about bitterness. Can we then forgive and be free? Interesting phrase in here, which I, I'd never noticed. And it says, see to it. Let me go back and read it. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. <clears throat> As I did my study this week, the word see to it actually is a Greek word. And I don't talk about Greek words much, but I think it's just helpful. It's the Greek word episkopo, where we get the word episkopos, which we get the English word for bishop or elder or overseer. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, oversee one another 
in love, in grace, and in mercy, making sure there's not bitterness springing up. That means when I have a loving relationship with you, when I love God and love you, I should have the right to speak into your life, hey, Jonathan, I see you're bitter. Or Jonathan says, hey, Scott, I see you're bitter. If you don't love me, keep your dadgum mouth shut. But if you love me, make sure bitterness is not springing up among me. Now, some of y'all are married to somebody that's bitter. You say, are you talking to her about this? I'll get killed. <laughs> yes, you will. Send her to the women's retreat. They'll talk to her. <laughs> right, Sandra? Yeah. Or to a trusted friend. Or, you know, and they get help in the bitterness battle. We have to see to it. We have to piscopo each other. We have to watch out for one another. Hey, I think you're bitter. I can see this bitterness. I've had people do this to me. Hey, I can see you're bitter. You need to deal with this. Uh, it's not pleasant. But you know what? It's helpful. And we must protect each other from bitterness. And I want you to write this down. Brothers don't let brothers be bitter. And sisters don't let sisters be bitter. We're going to refuse to live in bitterness. You see, there's a monster that lives in the dark corner of my heart. He defiles, pollutes my soul. He defiles my relationships. And he's got to go. He's got to go. When I was pastoring in Canada, <clears throat> we, uh, we had Saturday night services, but we had Sunday morning services. We had two Saturdays and three on Sundays. Five, preach five times a weekend. A lot. Um, after one, we had a couple that started coming. They were in their late sixties, uh, maybe middle late sixties, 68, 60, somewhere around in there. And they were a great couple, but they had grown up at a, another denomination and, and they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They just had a religion they were attending. Well, they came to our church and they found Christ and they'd both been baptized and God was doing a great work in their life. And I would see them. They came on Saturday nights. Every Saturday night uh, and Sunday mornings, I would go to a room that was kind of connected to our big atrium foyer. And uh, I would talk to people. I would stare to you know, do whatever pastor's supposed to do. Here I stand at the back. There I was encased in a room. And, um, and they would come and they would talk to me. They were so excited about the Lord and so excited about what he was doing. And um, one Saturday night, I preached on bitterness. And uh, he came into the room with his wife and she was holding on to him and it tears were just streaming down his face. And I hugged him. I said, Hey man, what's going on? He said, for 58 years, I've been living with the intense bitterness of this guy who sexually molested me. And tonight I made a decision to forgive him and I'm free. He's not off the hook. God's got him. I've given God suggestions about vengeance. <laughs> but God's got him. And I am free. I am free. Don't you want that? Don't you want to live like that in the future? Hey, you guys that were focused this week, if you learn how to forgive now, it'll pay great dividends in your future because you're going to be hurt and you're going to be disappointed and life's hard and gets harder. Am I, am I lying? 
Nope. And to be a great forgiver now, what if you created a culture of forgiveness in your community? I love what happened with Focus Weekend because I want to tell you something. Historically, when God moves in the lives of teenagers, God moves in the community. I've watched revival after revival after revivals break out in young people leading the way. That's why we invest in them. So good on you guys. Did y'all have a motto? Focus Fox? Focus Weekend? No, never mind. Okay. All this reminds me of a an old song. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Get up and go to Jesus. Be free. Be restored. Father, thank you for what you said to us today in your word. And I pray that we just won't go through the exercise of attendance but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds by submitting ourselves to your word and your way. It will be different. Father, I pray for those who right now are doing business with you in regards to forgiveness. That there's been a hurt, a habit, a hang up, a disappointment, something, someone in their life. And the root of bitterness has defiled every relationship around them. And oh God, I pray that today they will deal with that. And ask you, the great forgiver, to forgive them and help them to be forgivers as well. And today they can be free. Father, I sense there's some in this room that need to give their lives to you. They've never accepted your forgiveness. And how in the world could they give forgiveness to somebody else? The one who's been most offended is you. And you've extended forgiveness to us. So I pray, Father, that right now, those who need to trust you, and folks with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you know who you are. The Lord's working in your heart right now. I'm going to ask you to pray with me a simple prayer of faith, believing. Let's pray this. Jesus, I give myself to you. Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you that you have. I accept you as my Savior, my God. I'm going to live for you. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that, then welcome to the family.